This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. And we want to welcome you to the final installment of our Ready, Set, Think series. We've been exploring various ways that our brains are kind of predisposed to process life and how that influences the way that we operate in the world. And I have to say, Hannah, that as we've gone through this series, I've become ultra aware of how I'm thinking and what I'm thinking and um, these habits of the mind. And um, I, I realize that this actually ties in pretty well with the season that we're in with Lent, because everyone's talking about how we think and these habits and, and what sorts of things we want to put our mind towards. So I feel like this is really the perfect way that we're, we're in the season of Lent and we're wrapping up our series. I feel like it's just all coming together. Yeah, and I have to say, though, as a devout um, evangelical, I don't practice Lent. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's it's become a cultural um, practice, almost like the, the in thing to do. Yes. Or to talk about, at least. <laughs> and it's fascinating to watch people um, either give up something or, um, you know, some folks are getting off social media, some folks are giving up different uh, foods or practices for Lent. And I think it reminds me a little bit of what happens at the beginning of the calendar year, Mm, when people mm -hmm. are like, well, I'm going to stop doing this, or, you know, I'm going to um, give up this, or I'm going to change my habit on something. And, you know, for Lent, it's just for 40 days, which seems like a little bit of a waste to me. Like, if you're gonna, <laughs> like it's not enough time. <laughs> well, like if you're going to go to all that work to break the habit, um, you know, pick something that you want to break. Then you can right. just carry it on for the rest of the year. Right. Well, and I don't say any of this to disparage of anyone who's making commitments for life. Right. Because so many people are saying, oh, I want to do these things to create more space in my brain or in my life, in my in, in how I'm going about my days so that I have more room to think about the things of God. So I, I love the heart behind that. Um, the, the idea of picking one thing to either um, try to do for 40 days or to try to abstain from for 40 days, that actually feels like, for some reason, more daunting to me than making a New Year's resolution, which is dumb because (laughs) 365 days is way more than 40. But there's something about saying, oh, for 40 days, I'm going to mark it off and I'm going to do it for 40 days. Um, It makes me wonder which one would be easier to pick. Like, would it be easier 
to commit to a new habit and say, I'm going to do it 40 days straight? Or would it be easier to say, I am not going to do this for 40 days? Like cold turkey, I'm not doing it. I, I wonder which one would be easier. In my experience, abstinence is always easier than forming something new. Mm. And I base this on my experience with trying to teach my children habits or Mm -hmm. form habits in our family. I just have to tell you, I have been a parent for 14 years. And for (laughs) the last 14 years, I have gone through this cycle of really good ideas that are going to reform our family and help (laughs) us get on the right track. And so like every few months, my husband and I will have this like significant breakdown where we'll look at each other and we'll say, we are terrible parents. We are failing. We've got to get these kids in shape and get this house in shape. And so we will commit (laughs) ourselves to some new system. Yes. Like, I cannot tell you the number of systems we have been through (laughs) to try to regulate screen time. This makes me feel so much better. I want to hear about this. (laughs) We have done Everything you can think of, like um, creating chore boards, creating um, little pin boards where you have a certain number of pins at the beginning of week and you move them as you use your computer time, Um, (laughs) jars with pennies and coins in them, uh, trying to take away privileges, uh, chalkboards, all of the things. (laughs) I'm so glad I'm not alone and I don't even have children, although I've not tried the moving the pins I've heard of that one. None of it works. I mean. (laughs) So I can just skip it right now. We have (laughs) tried so hard to be intentional Mm -hmm. in our parenting. And I find it really, really difficult to form specific habits. Now, we have habits and we have patterns in our lives. Mm -hmm. um, But the formation of specific ones that we are trying to head toward feels Mm -hmm. much more difficult than just saying we're going to stop doing such and such. Mm -hmm. It's almost easier to to recognize I am about to do this thing that I said I'm not going to do, so I will not do it. It, It's it's that warning before you actually do the thing that you've committed to not do any longer. So yeah, maybe it is. I I do have, first of all, I do want to say that you are not alone in that challenge of trying to build the the new system. And there are lots of ideas for systems. I, I love coming up with new systems, but it's the execution of them that is so hard. One habit that Although it it sounds weird to call this a habit, but one habit that Mike and I adopted and it has stuck is that we have a, a routine on Saturday mornings where we go and we have coffee together and we talk through what's happened in the week before and what's going to happen in the week ahead. And it's like our recalibration of, okay things have been nuts. Let's settle down here on a Saturday morning and have this discussion over a lovely cup of coffee plus pastries. So that habit was a joy to introduce. But you know how life is. It it is always changing. And so to protect that habit, we have to make choices and we have to alter it. It's not like we can say every Saturday at nine, no matter what, Sometimes we have to go early, which is terrible, way early. And then other times we have to go on a Sunday or sometimes we have to skip it. And then we have to have this conversation at a different day and time. So 
even though you have patterns, it's more like they become the routine and it's um, trying to get you into a rhythm of how you live it out rather than being um, so tied to it has to be rigid and it has to be this way. You kind of want to build more of that rhythm and the goal of having the conversation. So, yeah. And what strikes me is that we're talking about uh, primarily like physical habits mm -hmm. or uh, routines or scheduling or things that we're doing with our bodies throughout the week. And when I think about our topic that we spent the last, you know, six episodes on about our thinking habits, to me, that just feels like, oh my word, the challenge is such, a, it's so much greater. So we, we have been considering what are the rhythms and the unseen habits in our thinking that lead us in certain directions to decisions, to conclusions, where we arrive at a conclusion or a decision, but we don't even recognize what got us there. Uh, we don't a lot of times stop long enough to even realize that something got us there. And so when we turn to a question of like, well, I've decided that I don't like the way I think, or maybe my fear is influencing my decision-making too much, or maybe I think pessimistically too often, or I think in status quo categories more than thinking creatively and imagining what could be. So we're at the point in this conversation where we could be doing this kind of self-reflection, have gained enough self-awareness to say, I don't like the way I think. I don't like the habits of my thinking. But how do we change that? And that really is the question. I think that's the thing that I've come to at this point is that we've been looking at all these different things and I'm seeing things that I would like to think differently about. But how, how do you change the thinking? And and seeing as I am, I, I struggle with it in my life in all all regards, I do wonder okay, is it just a matter of saying, oh, I'm just going to purpose to think this way from now on. And yet, when things kick in with life, when it's busy, or their emotions are stirred, it's almost like I revert right back to the old thinking. So it's very frustrating um, to, to see that you have thinking that isn't bringing life, that's not, it's not leading you down the way that you want to go. And yet you end up there. It's so frustrating. Yeah. So I, I feel like this is going to be a good um, hash out of like, okay, what do we do now? Right. How is it that we're going to tackle this? And and the one thing that I think gives me hope and encourage me encourages me about the possibility of changing our thinking is that the brain is an organ. It's very plastic. And I don't think that's typically how we think about our own thinking or our minds where we say things like you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah, there's a sense where if you've been habituated by a certain pattern of thinking for decades, it's going to be really difficult to change that um, or to think in new ways. But what's wonderful is that our brains are not either hardwired where there is no changing them, nor are they so um, damaged or traumatized or they're not concrete. You know, mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's not like 
what you have done for the last four or five decades just sets your path and that's all you can do. It becomes Mm -hmm. much more difficult, perhaps. I think about even the process of memorizing things now as an adult or trying Mm -hmm. to learn a second language as an adult versus when you're a child. You know, your brain is developing rapidly in childhood and it's being formed and shaped by experiences. It's also able to take in all kinds of information and maybe not understand it, but remember it. And so there is a different kind of plasticity in in terms of age and experience. But that doesn't mean just because you've gotten to adulthood that your brain can't be rewired. Mm -hmm. I I find great hope in that. And um, even the conversation we had with Laura Turner in our last episode where we were talking about how anxiety affects the brain and we were looking at, okay, but where is where can we find hope in this? What what can we look toward as potential for new thinking and 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 life-giving thinking? And the hope is that we can have renewed thinking um, because our brains can change. Um, one book that I read a couple years ago that I thought was so helpful with the, with this idea, um, it was called The Power of Habit by Charles Durig. And he talks through how our brains process information and how they are it's almost like something comes in and it triggers an idea and then it, it sets your thoughts racing down a particular, think of it like a roadway. And there are things that are familiar that set you down these paths and they send you down that path. And the more you go down that path, you create a rut. And so it makes it all the easier to go down that path. But the great thing is you can jump out of that rut and create a new path. It's just it's going to take more time to make it into a a pattern or a rut so that it makes the brain go that direction instead of the old direction. The the process of that, I, I find that hopeful because even though, like you said, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, actually you can. It's just that it's going to take you time to not do the old thing plus practice the new thing. So it's almost like it's just more, a little bit more work until the new thing becomes natural second nature. Um, That part of it is hopeful to me, because if we didn't have that, then there would be a sense of, well, why bother? Like, why bother thinking about anything? Why bother trying to grow or or trying to have right thinking? Because it's it's almost like there's no point, almost like it would be useless. And that feels so discouraging to me. Right. And it also affects whether we choose to engage with people who have different opinions than we do. Yes. So yep. if we can't change both our own minds We Mm -hmm. also are assuming that other people won't or can't change their minds. And so you can devolve into this kind of hopelessness where, well, it's not even worth having the conversation. I've told them, oh, we've talked about this in the past, and I've said it over and over again, and nobody seems to understand, nobody seems to get what I'm saying. And because the brain can change over time, There is hope that repeated, regular, consistent conversations will slowly affect change 
in people's way of viewing the world. Now, they may not come completely around to where you are, but if nothing else, you have awakened in them an awareness of a situation or a category or that this this idea even exists. And that's mm-hmm. different than before you have the conversation with them. And I think, too, it's hopeful because, especially as Christians, we have this idea or this belief that the Christian life is one of growth and change, that Mm -hmm. we are being transformed through the Holy Spirit. And without the power for our minds and our thinking to actually shift on issues or even to think in new ways, not just to change our decision, our conclusion, but to actively think in ways that are holistic and better than the way we thought previously has to be part of the hope of our faith. Mm-hmm. I really liked what you said there about um, this repeated conversation so that we do see change. Because even in our Christian walk, um, it's not just a matter of being confronted once with a principle or a, a truth tenant and then, oh, now we're magically different. Even if we agree with it, um, there isn't this magic switch that you hear at once and then it's just done and over with. There's a there's a formation aspect. There's a discipleship aspect where it is a training, a retraining. And I think that's the thing with the series that has really stuck with me is that our our mental frames, it's this collection of narratives. And those narratives have been in us, embedded in us, and practiced since birth. Um, there, it's the culture we live in, it's the family we grew up in, it's all of our experiences, it's also our faith. Like all these things are telling us a story about how we live and how we go about living the good life for whatever we want to call it, the, the thing that is going to satisfy us the most. Now, the gospel is giving us a, a renewed definition of what that good life is. But it takes time to have that definition seep in and change those gut level narratives that have been there forever. Those have been the habits and those have been the forma- the foundational formational messages of our lives. And so that all takes time, which is why we need to repeat these conversations so much and why we do need to keep coming back to these things again and again so that we can change. Right. And I think one of the things that's particularly difficult for those of us raised in the evangelical tradition is that so much of the way we view our spiritual walk is based on these moment in time decisions. Mm, Um, So we think of conversion of spiritual life as coming to, I have, made this decision, right? I have decided to follow Jesus. Um, And we tend to operate in categories of like, I'm assenting to the gospel, or I am confessing these creeds, or I, I have made this decision. And it does not um, perhaps give us a vision of the layering that has to happen to confirm 
our decisions. So we may experience the decision in a moment of time. We ourselves may come to awakening or awareness or recognition in that moment, but it doesn't really describe all the work that brought us to that decision Mm -hmm. or that moment. And it also doesn't account for the type of work that has to happen just habitually to move us toward growth and to move us toward personal transformation into the likeness of Christ. And I kind of um, recognize this, not just in spiritual terms, but I recognize this in my parenting Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. my kids in the actual amount of repetitious work that has to happen to train and to help them mature. And I think it's very easy for parents to have established rules or to establish expectations. And when the child fails to meet those expectations, to get frustrated with them and say, well, I told you, you know, this is what was expected and why can't you do this? And one thing my husband and I are learning, and it's been kind of a relief to both us and to our kids, is to recognize that our kids are working toward maturity. They're not there yet, but they're working toward it. So their job is to try to strive for it insofar as they can at the age that they're at, knowing Mm -hmm. that they're not going to reach it because they're not mature. (laughs) Our job is to continually remind them of the expectation. So our job is not to just establish an expectation, but it's to come along and say, you need to pick up your room. You need to pick up your room. You need to pick up your room. So (laughs) until that becomes natural to them. And I remember having this conversation with my daughter who's 14 and, you know, she's, she's an achiever and she gets very sad and discouraged when she doesn't meet the expectation. And one day I just took her aside and I said, look, you're 14. You're not expected to be 18 or 20 or 40. You're 14. You're expected to do what you can do as a 14 year old. That's your job. My job is to come in and remind you and say, hey, let's pick up your room. And Mm -hmm. then a couple days later, hey, pick up your room. So when I say (laughs) pick up your room, it is not a condemnation of you. It's not a you have failed again and again and again and again. It is, hey, let's remember what direction we're going. Let's, Mm. Let's build that habit. Let's do that again. That's my job as a parent is to be the one giving structure to that repeated, let's do this, let's Mm -hmm. do this, let's do this. And when I remind my children, like I said, it's not judgment. It's just the habit. It's the habit Mm -hmm. formation. I need that in all aspects of life. And I think that's why none of us can go through life alone is because we have to be reminded of what's our goal? What's the target? How do we keep on when it feels like failure? Like, oh, I've already read a book about whatever sort of discipleship, and yet I'm going to read another one and think, well, yeah, I read something like that before, and yet I still don't feel like I'm grasping it. It's like, well, yeah, you've got to read it again and come at it again (laughs) from another angle and and give it a go. It's that whole idea of fall down seven times, get up eight or whatever <laughs> that, that, that little saying is. And so you keep going and you keep trying with it because you are building the habit of it. Um, and that 
that progress over perfection is needed, where we have grace for ourselves that we aren't going to do it all perfectly and we aren't going to think it all perfectly, but to have people come around us and say, oh, this is where we're headed. This is what we're looking to establish. That gives the hope. And I, I like what you said about how it's not judgment. Um, I think we need a lot of that in our thinking as well, where we are um, allowing people to grow and to change and how that's not going to look neat and tidy. It's not going to be pretty all the time um, to yeah. have grace for people where they are. We are very much focused on the outcome of our conversations. Mm -hmm. And we yep. live in a society that's very outcome-based. We want things to be productive. So we say yeah. a conversation is productive if it reaches a certain goal that we wanted it to reach at the beginning. Um, and so we have this kind of objective-driven mentality. And when we think about that in terms of our conclusions or our thought processes or affecting other people's um, thinking, we want it to result in changed minds. Mm -hmm. And if the mind is not changed, then it is not worth having the conversation. It's not even worth engaging. And I think one of the things that perhaps even in our, our spiritual walk and in our faith is that I have over the years come to think in terms of spiritual formation, the language of a process of growth or a shaping mm -hmm. of our souls and spirits rather than maybe um, a propositional framework that says growth can be measured by do you assent to these positions. Yeah. Um, and so it's more about an organic development similar to the maturation you see in a child or a plant where you are moving in a certain direction and the movement and the growth in a certain direction is enough, even if you're not arriving yet. Mm -hmm. We need that framework because as I think about that as it relates to that undercurrent of thought, that mental frame that we have that we can't even see, it will take time for that to be melded to the truth of the gospel. And I, I think all of us have places in our mental frames that more readily align with truth and with life and with flourishing, maybe because of our upbringing, because those were the narratives that were um, leaning toward health to begin with. So it's easier for those parts of us to, to grasp and, and to cling to truth. But there are places in us that we're starting off at such a deficit. It's going to take time for those things to be renewed and replaced with life-giving, truth-bearing ideas. And, and this is where when we are in community and we can't understand why someone would think what they think, even though they are saying that they are a follower of Christ. It's like we've got to understand that people have varying types of frameworks at work in them, and they just don't see it. They, they really have a reason for why they think the way they do, but maybe they've never considered it. Um, it may be that they're leaning way too far on one 
end or the other, law versus grace or something like that. And and they need some of that discipleship to come back in in line with the gospel so that it's permeating all aspects of their decision making. That all takes time and we have to give grace for people for where they are. Yeah, and I think if um anyone's familiar with like scriptural text, one of the ones that should be ringing a bell in your mind right now is that classic kind of Romans 12 too that we quote to each other, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, and what, one of the things that's fascinating about the language and the verbs in that text is it sounds so immediate. Do not be mm. conformed. Be transformed. Mm-hmm. Be different. Change yourself. <laughs> it feels yeah. like. But when you read it, The transformation happens by renewing of your mind. And that renewing is an ongoing process, right? It's, it's a gerund there. So it's, it is this inging. It is this continuing process, um, that I think perhaps we want this change your habits of thinking. Don't think the way the world thinks, think in a renewed framework, but that is happening, um, over the long run. And it's happening in process. So I think we, part of what you mentioned in terms of community is being able to have people around you that can remind you of those things. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And I think historically, this is where um, the church structures, not just the relationships with other people in the church, but church structures um, like sacraments or means of grace have been tools to help us change our thinking and to Mm -hmm. help us not just reach certain decisions or reach certain um, right conclusions, but to actually change our patterns of thought. Well, Hannah, I think you're spot on there because so many things about our faith are um, these practices, these habits, these things that that build grace-filled life giving patterns within us. And I think about how even in my own life, when I have sought to renew my mind, whether it's by scripture, um, memorizing scripture, reading scripture, um, there have been profound changes in me when I've dedicated time and effort and, and put my mind toward that as a habit. And I feel like it's things that have changed um, kind of at the base level of me that I can't even quite put my finger on, but dramatic life-giving change in how I think and how I process. So I, I agree. I think that those things are so needed in our lives, but it's it's those components that I think are so hard to keep at it. I mean, we've got to be in community and encourage each other in that process of applying these habits that are that are grace-filled. Yeah, and I think one of the um, challenges that we face and even engaging these habits is if we have trained in kind of a conversion or decision-based spiritual walk, we will mm. approach the scripture as if we're looking for information. We're looking uh, yeah. for content or we're looking for an answer to the question. And really what things like prayer 
and fasting and scripture reading, scripture memory, even worship in community, um, even the Lord's table, the things that what's happening there is not just an objective that you're trying to reach or attain. Mm -hmm. It's that you are being actually changed in the process, that, that your mind is being shaped because it is plastic, because it is being formed. These kinds of spiritual habits or means of grace are creating an environment, not just where you can access new information or have a new conclusion, but they're actually forming you to walk through the world a certain way and to mm-hmm. think about the world a certain way. Mm. So those things are helping us to be predisposed almost to certain types of processing and thinking, which is what we've been talking about really all along is how how are these undercurrents affecting us? And then how can we um, have those undercurrents pointing us, leading us to um, good thinking, renewed thinking, thinking that brings life and flourishing. And I, I feel like even this whole series, how we've had conversations here, brought on some guests, we've talked about it on our blog and online with different listeners who have contributed. I feel like even that is that community aspect where we are pointing each other back to these life-giving ways and and considering how can we have our thinking, our mental frames lining up with life. So it's been such a good series. I've enjoyed it so much. I would love to hear from listeners which elements they enjoyed and and which parts of it have been most challenging. Um, as we wrap up, Hannah, do we have a question of the day? Yes, we do. And oh, it comes from something that you have just said. Um, I want to know what has changed or challenged your thinking in this series? How have these conversations maybe heightened your awareness to the way your thinking is being driven by these underlying forces? Did you have an aha moment where you were listening to the conversations, processing your own thinking and say, oh, I never realized I do this. So what aha moment have you had in this Ready, Set, Think series? And of course, you can come on out to Twitter and join us there to let us know your aha moment. Um, We're at Persuasion CAPC. If you're in the members forum at Christ and Pop Culture, you can start a thread there and we can talk about all the things that we've thought about and learned through this series. And of course, if you're not a member, you can become a member for $5 a month to support Persuasion and all the other content-rich stuff that we're producing at Christ and Pop Culture. Thanks so much to Jonathan Clausen. He's our producer for Persuasion and all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture podcast network. You can listen to them at ChristandPopCulture.com. You can search for them in when you are at iTunes, just type in Christ and Pop Culture and all the different shows will will pop up there. While you're at iTunes, we would love your ratings and reviews. It helps us to be found by other potential listeners. We do thank all of you for joining us and for listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. 
an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.